big listener he not you not me (laughs) he said it's Thursday and I find myself hankering for a power ballad not being able to delay gratification until your Friday offering I've turned to the greatest power ballad of them all keep on loving you by Rio Speedwagon to satisfy this need if you haven't featured this Wallace and I would jolly well hope you have then I would thoroughly recommend it for tomorrow's offering. If you've played it already, then please play it again, Wallace. It is the power ballad to rule them all, is Alan's point of view. Well, we have played it, and Alan, kia ora to you, because I absolutely love this song. Um, Is it a ballad, though? I mean, what actually is the definition of a ballad? You know, the ballad of Bonnie and Clyde. (laughs) I did, and halfway through it, there's this, uh, you know, electric guitar riff that sounds like my husband playing on the computer thing because he can, you know, Professor Blackman. (laughs) Yes, Professor. Is this a ballad? Well, it's REO Speedwagon, not Rio Speedwagon. How do you know that? You you will get lots of um, emails from the listeners about that. Rapid eye movement. No, 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 REO. I I do not know. Is that how you say it? It is REO. Speedwagon. I do yep. not know what the R and the E and the O stands for, so maybe someone can enlighten us, enlighten us on that. But oh, look, it's generic, bloody you know, pseudo hair metal sort of stuff from the eighties. You know, it's metal, just, it's not just rubbish. Just rubbish. Well, we not, can we can do better, Wallace. Not we can do better. Not according to recent Titahi Bay, <laughs> who says it's the best ever, Wallace. So, <laughs> but have, have we agreed it as a ballad? Because it did have that great big. <laughs> Sort of riff thing. Well, through ballad's it. about yeah. tempo, isn't it? So yes, it, yeah. well, you know, power ballad is a ballad is. with electric guitars. Yeah. Oh, I think, okay. Basically. No, I think oh, that's power. Sort of, I get it. Of, electric. Yeah, power, yeah, there we oh, go. Uh, there so we there go. you go. Rio Speedwagon. Rio. Jeez. Honestly. Now, someone says a bit of feedback for you. I'm a big fan of you, Alan Blackman. You taught me my first year of chemistry in Otago in 2005. It's really good to hear you again. I'm um, appalled at Alan's news. I still listen to his podcast on the elements. Uh, I got made redundant at 51, and it was the best thing ever. Life improved hugely. Go, Alan Blackman. So uh, there you go. Thank Very you. good. Thank you. Um, Wallace, I'm sure I've told you this before. It is Ario, not. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. Told you. Rio. To this, a majority of New Zealanders are underinsured as the cost of living bites. That is leaving families vulnerable should the worst happen. It is 
easy to let things lapse, but the consequences of not having insurance could create a heavy burden on whānau. All borne out by new statistics out today, around 70% of New Zealanders are underinsured. The Financial Services Council survey of over 2,000 New Zealanders found around 70% of New Zealanders are underinsured, putting families at risk, which with us is Financial Services Council CEO Richard Kilpin. Richard, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you doing? Very well. Good to have you on. And look, let's just say it right here. You do uh, represent the body on this. Nonetheless, I was quite interested in this. Um, 70% underinsured. Was that a surprise? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a pretty stark number, Wallace. Um, you know, 70% is a headline number. Uh, only 32% of us have the appropriate uh, health insurance, 11% income protection. And, um, you know, when there's a cost of living crisis and there's a lot of uh, risks out there, you know, getting people to think about managing risk in their life is, is, a, is a really difficult conversation. So uh, not surprising on one hand, but, uh, but completely uh, confirms other issues on, on the other. I, hadn't, I actually had a person, I know a person who's uh, uh, just after COVID whose uh, whole car of uh, camera gear was gone and Cindy, it just, it was something that uh, it was never got round to because they were dealing with so many other things. Well, look, I, I think there's the types of insurance. I mean, Richard's talking about income protection, etc. I mean, that is so expensive mm. that it's not true. <clears throat> and I mean, I think that, <clears throat> you know, um, <laughs> slight vested interest probably, Richard. I think that, <laughs> you know, there is a thing... You know, there's risk and there's self-insurance and there is prioritisation of income and it's really about what amount of risk you're prepared to take. And if, for example, as a householder, you could put $50 aside every month in a savings account instead of, you know, some other sort of insurance policy, I think really what we've got to be able to do is have a look at the amount of risk we can take. What about take. your house? Well, health insurance is, what, no, no, no. is quite what experience. What about your house? Oh, your house. Oh, no. well, so I what th- about that? I th- no, I think house insurance, house and contents well. is important. But some I was underinsured. I didn't realise it. Yeah, but really some, underinsured. Because you had <clears throat> what? You weren't... I, mean, well, I had how, no idea. But how many, how many insurance companies, Richard, are doing, you know, complete loss replacement for houses now aren't they most of them doing capped yeah i'm not on the uh, i'm not on the general insurance side but look this conversation cindy that you raise is exactly right you know this, this bit of research is about asking people to think about how much risk are they happy to take on because mostly we kind of go about our lives not thinking about this uh, we'll, we'll insure our houses, we'll insure our cars, but the most valuable asset we have, which is us, our ability to earn an income, we kind of go, no, we're actually always going to be okay, and that's not always the case. Uh, and so this data kind of faces into that. And the question we want to ask people to think about is, so how much risk are you happy to take on? Uh, self-insure, o- offset insurance, whatever your decision is, just make an active decision about it. Well, let's go to a person who is going through some life changes right now, uh, 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 the former Professor Blackman. Income protection? 
Income protection. Yeah, no, I, did, I agree with you. Did you have income no, protection? No, because, because you're absolutely right. It's ridiculously it's expensive. It's really expensive. Yeah, and so that's presumably why only 11% of New Zealanders have it. I've got to admit, you know, the news story is just a little bit cheeky when it says the FSC suggests consumers talk to a financial advisor about their options. You know, yeah. you're kind of drawing up a little business for yourself there. But, um, I mean, insurance, yeah, it's, it, it is necessary for certain things and everything. I remember my old professor of chemistry, he hadn't, he never got his house insured because he just thought, you know, what you know? What's what's the risk? What what's the the likelihood of my house burning down? And it never did. So you know, he saved himself a hatful there. Richard. So so folks, here here's the answer, right? Um, the sector paid out uh, over one point three billion dollars worth in claims across the life uh, the life insurance sector. So look, um, cheeky or not, um, stuff happens. You know, people are getting having accidents. People are dying. People are getting diagnosed <clears throat> with all sorts of things, and Again, you know, ultimately up to people to make a decision about what's right for them. But, oh, um, yeah. but, but not thinking about it and hoping the worst doesn't happen is something that we're encouraging people mm. to think about. Very interesting, Richard, and I'll be interested to hear from our listeners, uh, you know, what, what your thoughts on both health insurance and income protection are. How did you find it, if you've had it or not? Uh, Richard Kelvin-Cura, thanks for your time. Clippin, rather. Uh, that's the um, Financial Services Council CEO there. Um, health insurance around the panel? Yes, <clears throat> absolutely. But oh, do you have it? Yeah, I've got health insurance. Well, you, you know, it? the only people that don't, well. Have you used it? Yes. Used it. My it husband's used it all the time for operations. But well, any good? Yeah, fan- you fantastic. You should have brought that up. <laughs> well, I would have, but he, you hung up on him, Wallace. I just didn't have the chance. <laughs> you know, the, the, the thing is, though, the premiums for health insurance, yeah. the older you get, yes. they get, yes, they get yep. really expensive, yep. and it's when you're older that you need it. Well, yeah. declaration of interest here, I don't have either. So wow. Either what? Health or house? Income, I certainly have health, but income uh, or health. Wow. Um, Income protection gets more expensive the older you get. Yeah. Dropped that plus life insurance, $8,000 in savings, says someone. Um, Wallace, someone out out in Listerland will know how much money in $2,022 will your guests will have saved in 50 years of doing cold washing. Yeah, we might do the numbers on that. Anyway, (laughs) lovely to have your company. Uh, Very good indeed. Uh, And uh, yes, indeed, if you've had uh, income or health insurance, do get in touch. You were going to say something else, weren't you? But the thing about your income protection is it doesn't necessarily – um, kick in straight away. There's a there's a whole lot of sub clauses, mm-hmm. and you know the oh. older you, the older you, and it and it stops at, um, at 65 anyway. You can't you can't have it for longer. Right. So you know sometimes when you need your insurance the most as you get older, mm-hmm. it's prohibitive in a premium sense oh. or not available. Mm. I worked at the University of Auckland for 25 years. I had my own income insurance because there was no health insurance. With the university, we used to cover each other if someone had extended illnesses. In my case, uh, excess was four and absence, excess of one year. You're on the panel, RNZ National, Wallace Chapman with you, and Alan Blackman and Cindy Michener with me this afternoon. Every so often, the issue of rain tanks crops up and the use of them, not just rural, but urban also. Less so at the moment, there's been a lot of rain, but 
long, dry periods, they're increasing. And there was an opinion piece that really caught my eye by Luke Kirkness from the Rotorua Daily Post that rainwater tanks should be mandatory on all new builds in New Zealand. And with us to discuss is Andrew Eagles, the Chief Executive of the Green Building Council. Kia ora, Andrew. Kia ora. Great speaking with you on a nice yeah. sunny day. Uh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> Andrew. Yeah, yeah. And look, in terms of future-proofing our new builds, rainwater tanks, I mean, does it make sense? I can see why people get attracted to the idea, but it's not going to be a panacea, right? So so let's talk it through. The, yeah. the typical Auckland usage is 160 litres per person per day. So four people on average, 650 litres per day. And then the urban rainwater tanks are usually 1,000 to 3,000 litres. So it's likely to last in between 1.5 to 1.5 days. And that, that's if it's full, right? Yeah. And, and often when you're going into drought, that won't be full, and so you get even less. So it's not it's not really going to be the the solution that we think it is. The, oh, the I kind see. of droughts we're talking about. You know, Auckland had a drought for um, you know over a year, and and that's that's a real issue. So that that very quickly the tank is going to be dried up. I mean, the type of thing that we would advocate that would be of more assistance would be. Uh, water efficiency mandated through the building code um, and indeed separate to droughts, um, surface water runoff, better allowance for surface water runoff. Oh, can you explain that a bit more? So more than rain tanks, um, uh, uh, water efficiency mandated through the building code. How? What might that look like? So that looks like mandating wells ratings on uh, taps, uh, showers, uh, toilets. Right. You can save save twenty percent or more uh, through those measures. Um, what, sorry, what's a wells rating? <clears throat> it's just the uh, water efficiency rating on your on your taps or your showers or your your toilets. So, how do you water, know what your water efficiency rating is on your towel, your tap, or your toilet? So, when you purchase it, it'll have a, a wells rating stated, and if you specify it with a, a builder or designer, they'll choose those those ratings. And you, you can check. For instance, you can hold up a, a container over the a shower. Bucket. Yep, and and then you measure how many liters have flowed in a minute. Well, you know, for if, clearly not having a shower, but while you're testing, and we do that actually when we're running the Homestar rating, we are driving people towards water efficiency because it it saves on water use, which is great for water care, pushing out millions of dollars they need for infrastructure. But it also saves on energy and carbon. Well, this is really interesting. Yeah. So you're you're angling the you're angling my whole story of rainwater tanks away from more efficient shower heads, and wasn't that an issue uh, uh, fifteen yeah. or twenty years yeah. ago? That's, that's right. That's I with Shane other, Jones. Yeah. The other thing I'd the other thing I'd add is that we're moving to dense, uh, greater density, right? So it may be a bit of a challenge with the um, with medium density, that sort of thing, getting space for the tanks as well. But, yeah, I think there's uh, there's other avenues to take this, and we would suggest water okay. efficiency through the building code. Oh, really interesting. Well, we're on the mm. panel on this. Shall we start with Alan on this one? Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, the gist of the story that you brought up, Wallace, was the um, fact that Tauranga was banning sprinklers and stuff like that for yep. until the end of summer. And so... Therefore, that's water that's being used, not you know, within the house. This is this is just sort of dare I say it, vanity water sort of thing. And you know, surely you can do all of that sort of stuff with grey water, presumably. And um, from a tank, 
Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, your tanks don't have to be, you know, these big, bloody great things that you see in the farm or whatever. You know, they can be incorporated in the design of the house. You know, some, some of them are quite clever. So, but surely it's got to help at least. It can't that's hurt. What I, that's what I was thinking, can't Andrew. Hurt. You know, talking about uh, not your sort of plumbing, plumbing your house into the tank, but using it for washing the car yeah, 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 yeah. and also the garden and that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, I'm unsure about the um, some of the, the the desperate need for those things so much. You know, I like the term vanity. <laughs> the, the vanity uh, water or vanity. There you go. You can you can use it. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, I think uh, so. I don't know whether we need to regulate for that, but sure. um, I can see that it would help people that want to have a green lawn and and have the garden work. And yeah, we are going to have to get used to this. The garden's not getting so much. So, can I ask so I, you before I would we go to Sydney? More of a Voluntary, voluntary option. Can I ask you a bit of a thorny question, which might be a bit controversial, but I'm going to ask it anyway, uh, Andrew. Should we return to the issue of making shower heads more efficient? We should, yes. So the average home we build at the moment, if we just clearly, it would be of huge use in existing homes as well. But the average home we use at the moment, build at the moment, is six times our carbon footprint, right? Six times a trajectory that aligns with 1.5 degrees. So we've got a a massive challenge and opportunity to decarbonise how we build new homes and also uh, how we we run them and the materials that we build them with. And part of that is the heating of hot water and the heating of our home. Are you convinced, uh, Cindy, or did I see a little eye roll when it came to shower heads? (laughs) Well, no, because we've just put in a new bathroom. I mean, and the, the, the point is... You know, it's actually interest in something is about relevance. I wouldn't have been the slightest bit interested in, what, you know, how many litres per minute or whatever a shower head did until I had to go and buy one. And guess what? That was never a question. We were looking at the colour. We were looking at the shape. We were looking at the little handles. Will this one slide up and down? What happens here? It needs to be black. But, you know... Whereas when we bought uh, the washing machine and dryer, because of the publicity around it and the ticks and all of that, the efficiency was a big thing for us. I mean, Mm. Andrew, I I think water is the currency of the future. Mm. And so, I mean, you know, I live... You know, out of the city, and so I've got rainwater tanks and a bore for the farm, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think we've got to be in as well as society when it comes to water. Not um, well, you know, don't worry too much about the tanks because they don't do that much. I think we've actually got to do everything because water is the currency okay, of the very future. Interesting. What of that, Andrew? Water, the currency of the future, and reflected in the building code. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. I, I think that, you know, you think about it at the moment, we've gone begging down to the Waikato to steal their water uh, from the Waikato River. We are going to face more and more issues of those long droughts. It's going to cost, it's costing us hundreds of millions of dollars for new infrastructure to get their water, and yet we're wasting huge amounts. We're, we're 20%, 30% above other countries for water use per day. I think the other thing is that, we need to have a panel session where we all get on our swimming togs and go under a shower because I can guarantee none of us would be able to tell the difference between a water-efficient shower and one that wasn't. Andrew, <laughs> you've set the challenge. 
I'm putting it to my producers. We're going to do it. In my new bathroom. Uh, brilliant. <laughs> Someone's brilliant. bathroom. It's lucky, it's lucky it's radio. Yeah. Hey, hey, Hi. hey. It's That's not, a bit cheeky. It's not very um, kind, Andrew. Andrew, we're going to... <laughs> we're going to do it. For myself, obviously. We're going to do it. Thank you. That's uh, Andrew Eagles, the I, chief I executive. That's a great idea. I think we around that. Yep. The yep. water-efficient... Um, you know, things. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do it. You're going to set up a black market and high-flow showerheads, aren't you? You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think rainwater tanks for every home is a brilliant idea, says someone. We're on rainwater and in a semi-rural area and never run out, says Susan and Foxton. And a few people in Beechtons are coming through too. Their town is on uh, tank. Uh, and this one here. I had income protection. I had to give up work at 60 because of chronic fatigue syndrome. The insurance company said I was not covered for this. <sighs> so I could not make a claim. Ouch. Yeah. Just... Ouch. All right. Finally, you're on the panel, Alan Blackman and Cindy Mitchin, a Friday afternoon. The unofficial holiday of Crate Day is controversial for its encouragement of harmful drinking. But turns out it's harming the birds also. Ashley Rakahuri River Care Group in North Canterbury is worried that tomorrow's crate day will bring four-wheel drives out to the riverbed, the home of many braided river birds. With us is volunteer for the Ashley Rakahuri River Care Group, Judith Huey. Kia ora, Judith. Kia ora, Wallace. So, a really interesting story this, and I had no idea that this crate day business was still happening. It was certainly an issue uh, or a thing when I was at Otago University back in the late 80s. But tell us about this issue. What birds do you have uh, at the Ashley Riverbed? Um, well, we're Braided River, of course, being yeah. in Canterbury. Um, and we've got um, Rybal, Black-Fronted Tern, Banded Dotterel, Pied Stilt, uh, Pied Oyster Catcher, Black-Billed Gold. And they're all on the... Um, threatened species list. They're endangered um, and Crate Day goes ahead each year on the Ashley River. The upper section of the Ashley, um, I will point out, um, we mostly look after the bottom section of the Ashley. Um, There's a belief that there's not many birds in the upper section, but that's not true. There are birds there and it's really crucial at the moment because we've just had a flood and we lost a lot of nests. Um, Chicks would have died. but the birds can naturally cope with a flood. They re-nest, and so they're busy trying to do that at the moment. Um, so we don't want vehicles going right up the river, which is 20 kilometres long they'll be driving up. Okay, Okay. so you've got these birds, uh, some uh, endangered. You've got these four-wheel drives. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow's crate day, Cindy. Well, crate day, that's how, how much beer you can drink out of a crate. Is That's the yeah, 12, how many crates one, you one, can drink. One crate. One yes. crate. One, crate. Crikey. Yeah, one, one bottle an hour, apparently. I'm oh. informed by my student this afternoon. <laughs> see, so, see, she's into it. it. Yeah. yeah, all right, Cindy. Obvi- obviously, we need, I mean, forewarned is forearmed, so obviously we need to be able to, to, to do something. I mean, is it possible just to have some volunteers down there? I mean, I... I would hope that nobody on purpose would be looking to um, upset the birds. Judith? Um, You'd be fairly brave volunteer. (laughs) Someone might call you silly. (laughs) Um, I observed it last year from a distance. I I didn't know much about it like you. I went up and I was gobsmacked at the number of vehicles. There was at least 150 or more pouring into the river. Now, we're we're not saying all these people are malicious. There's some bad eggs, but there's a lot of people who are uninformed. Let's put it like that. And as you say, Crate Day, 
it's about promoting alcohol. I don't know how many people have a lot on board, but they go up there and they're possibly in... The vehicles are revved up and they're revved up. So as volunteers, we're not going to stand in front of them on the river, I'm afraid. No, no, um, no fair, fair enough too. God. Yeah. Okay, Alan, <clears throat> I think one of the most boring things for tomorrow, the, the, the boring person will be those who are the designated drivers, I guess, for great to have, be very, very dull. But I don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> but I looked, I looked at a couple of quotes from the four-wheel drivers. Um, well, we've got legal rights as taxpayers to legally drive down a river, and mm-hmm. apparently Doc should put more effort into identifying and fencing off the nesting areas. That sounds like so, entitlement with a capital okay, E Okay, so what would you me. say to that, Judith? Oh, look, they're marvellous people if they can spot all the birds on the river. I wish they'd join our group. Hey, hey there you I go. I can't find a better well nest. You can't <laughs> see them. They nest on the shingle. And on the legal road business, look, the law, we know where we can drive. Roads are legal. But, like, in the last couple of months... I've watched people driving along the road and they'll stop for the mum duck and all the ducklings following. You will have all Mm. seen that. We don't deliberately go out to drive over creatures smaller than us, do we? What's the um, solution? So what is the solution here? Can I just say before the solution, on, on a, a, Judith, on an equally serious note, someone mm. says here, uh, Wallace, Crate Day is alive and well. My wife works in an emergency department mm. and they are rostering extra staff on for Crate Day. Oh, for God's okay. sake. So um, that's... that's um, <clears throat> Quite something, isn't it, Judith? Yeah, uh, your I final... think we're just asking for people to be a bit kinder to, sure. you know, the birds. Um, take a take a time to just step back and think. The river is a living room. No, we don't want anyone driving through our living room. In fact, it's a maternity ward at the moment, isn't it? It's got nests mm-hmm. and chicks well and everything said. there. Well so said. please, just take a bit of care. Mm. Judith, mm. it's really lovely to have you on um, and uh, yeah, all the very best and we might come back to you and see how uh, it all went. But for now, you're going to be down there tomorrow? Yes, I will be down there <laughs> having All a look. Right. <laughs> Thank Good you for your time, Wallace. Judith Huey there, volunteer for Ashley Rakahuri River Care uh, Group there. Now, um, yeah, a lot of response wow. regarding income protection and showers. And someone says here, we had to renovate and put in new shower heads that mix water and air, made by Methvin. Brilliant. Eight litres per minute instead of 24. Mm. And that, Cindy, could have been you well, it, if you asked the question. Who knew? Who knew? Well, you sh- you it sh- didn't occur sh- to me. <laughs> I was looking at the colour schemes. Oh, God, public and, shaming. You Goodness know, me. Making, making sure that you the didn't bathroom even didn't... ask the question. I didn't. The design of the toilet seat. I did not. Uh, never Go occurred on, to yep. me. Alan Blackman, Cindy Mitchell, you're both wonderful. Oh, Thanks dear. to my wonderful producer, Charlie Drever, for the week. I'm Wallace Chapman. Cheekpoint is next. I'm with you to, uh, Monday, 3.45, and I can't wait. Have a great weekend.